Hello, this is the MLS Tyson Podcast, and this is Riley McManus. Tom Sweezy is not with me because we are both taking some personal time to kind of decompress some soccer for a little while because MLS season is long. So, in the interim, we're going to throw out this episode with Tristan Bowen that we did. He's a fantastic man. He has a fantastic podcast. Before we talk about him, we want to thank you for sticking around all season with us. Here on the MLS Ace Podcast, we want to thank all of our guests that took the time to come on the show, including Tristan. Uh, fantastic interview, fantastic man. Uh, we, we promise to bring you content throughout the offseason like we mentioned on the last show. And moving forward all the way to February, we're going to bring you our breakdown and predictions of the Eastern and Western Conference in February. But now, to the interview with Tristan Bowen. A little information about him, in case you may have not heard of him. He is the first ever homegrown player signed to an MLS senior team. He won the Supporter Shield in 2010 with the LA Galaxy. He was part of Chivas' USA MLS team from 2011 to 2013. He won the Supporter Shield in the US Open Cup with the Seattle Sounders in 2014. And he was part of the AFC United team that won promotion to the top flight of Swedish football. Please enjoy this interview with Tristan Bowen. Tristan Bowen, what's going, dude? Hey, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me on. Ah, man, it's a pleasure. We uh, we are very, very thankful to have you on. That's dope. That's dope. <laughs> so, uh, I just want to start here. You and me just had a little pre-show conversation, and you were telling me how, how hard being vegan is. Um, yeah. yeah. Through this whole transition, you, you made the, the statement that if you don't make LAFC's 2018 roster, you're going to retire from professional soccer. So, what kind of led you that, to that decision, and what steps have you taken to try to reach that goal? Oh, man, we got to take it back to, uh, you know, after I became the first homegrown player in MLS soccer history. Um, you know, I, I felt like, uh, you know, my career has been, you know, filled with a lot of ups and downs. Um, you know, obviously coming in and at the LA Galaxy, being surrounded by top top players, not only in this country, but abroad as well. Um, I think that, you know, I, I struggled in my first year. When I got there, there was uh, the developmental league was scrapped, um, and then as an 18-year-old coming in, um, or no, actually I think it was 17. As a 17-year-old coming into a team, you know, filled with a lot of stars trying to fight for playing time, um, it was it was just tough trying to get acclimated. So my first year, I played one minute, exactly one minute, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, I decided that at that point um, I would never let that happen to me again. So uh, going into the second year, before that, like preseason, you know, I obviously worked my butt off, came into there, came into the season, uh, preseason fit, um, and saw a lot of opportunities to play. And I took advantage of that. And the second year was a breakout year for me. Um, you know, that was a World Cup year, and that's when everyone, uh, Edson Buttle and Donovan, went off to the World Cup. So I had the opportunity to play. And from that point on, you know, I thought I had a pretty decent year, and uh, going into the following season, I was traded to Chivas, Chivas USA, uh, went there, everything was up and down during that time, my three-year stint there, um, you know, went to Belgium during that time as well, came back, went to Seattle after my contract was over, and again, you know, it was a lot of ups and downs, there were moments when I played a lot, moments when I didn't play, and, uh, you know, I decided that it was time for me to just kind of do something different, you know, I had a a contract offer with the New England Revolution, and uh, we couldn't come to terms. So, you know, I went to Europe with, you know, literally nothing in hand, just my bags and, and a dream. And I found my way there, got on a club in Sweden, won promotion to the top flight. And at that point, uh, I just realized that, hey, you know what? 
I still have a lot of things that I want to prove to myself. You know, I was kind of looking at my options and, and I felt like, you know, uh, being in L.A. is a place that, that I've always wanted to play at. And I think when I was in L.A. initially, I didn't understand um, how wonderful of an opportunity it was. You know, um, everything coming into the league uh, as a first homegrown player in MLS history and being surrounded by Beckham, Donovan, you know, Greg Berhalter, uh, Edson Butto, Chris Klein, Eddie Lewis, you know, all these high-level players you just kind of take it as it is. You don't really think too much of it. And as I've grown older, I've realized that it was a wonderful opportunity. And, uh, you know, being an L.A. kid, I've always wanted to, you know, leave a mark here in this city. I've always wanted to make a difference. Uh, that's just me at my nature. So, um, you know, when LAFC was announced, I knew immediately that this was a place that I wanted to be. Uh, and I, you know, felt like I was totally fine with putting it out there and letting everyone know. Um, and I, I think in this day and age, you see, you know, everything that's going on in basketball with like LeVar Ball and, you know, his family and how, you know, how they created a buzz about around them, you know, and it's worked out for them. So I felt like, you know what, I can, I can do the same, you know, and, um, you know, just kind of put it out there, let my intentions be known and, and let the chips fall where they, where they fall. So for me, coming home it means much more than just playing in LA right it's 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 home for me and um you know I've grown up here I see what LA is what LA is you know people come here with dreams people uh want to make something of themselves and that's exactly what I want to do for my city and um I want to leave something tangible behind I I'm already in the communities I'm already doing community work and I just want to continue to to do great things for the city and and you know, kind of be a pioneer for LAFC. You you brought up your experience with the Galaxy, and mm-hmm. uh, you played one minute, obviously, your rookie season, like you mentioned. Uh, the the guys like David Beckham and the guys like Landon Donovan, you, you grew up in that system, and you, you knew the history of the club when you got there. And what was it like to train with those guys at such a young age, try to learn from them, but also compete with them and, and, it was, and go it was for it? Right. Like you see, like when I grew up, Beckham was everything. Right. Grew up idolizing him and stuff like that, as I'm sure everyone else did. You know, and the same thing with with Landon Donovan. You know, he's he's LD's a legend. You know, everybody, you know, knows who LD is. So going in there at 16, you know, mind you, giving you a little bit of context, I stopped playing club soccer at the age of 14. So from 14 to 16, which is when I first started training with the first team, I didn't have any games. You know, I was just I was just purely training on my own, and I made huge strides to the point where obviously a professional team sees you and they're like, "Hey, we want you to be a part of this, right?" So um, you know, going in there, you know, first off, you're you're young as hell, right? You, right? you have no clue of what it means to be a professional. We had an idea of what it meant, you know, in terms of living your life in a particular way and dedicating yourself to the sport. But when it came, when it comes to actually being there, it's different. You know, you're going into a locker room with grown men who are fighting for a living, right? Um, you know, going in there and, and just being first off a kid, like seeing everything, experiencing everything um, for the first time, you know, being in a professional locker room, having your clothes given to you, right? Each and every day, having a locker, you know, getting boots and stuff like all of that was all new. Um, but to be honest with you, I think the biggest players, every everyone on the team was was pretty cool for the most part. But the biggest players 
have uh, they made it a point to just make me feel welcome. And that was amazing. Um, but, you know, it, it was a tough transition for me, to be honest with you. Like, again, everything was new. I was 16, still trying to figure out who I was as a person, um, looking at everyone else and trying to see what, what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing. Um, you know, people I should hang out with, people I shouldn't hang out with. So it was a lot of process at one time. And I did the very best that I could. And to be honest with you, in hindsight, I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> and I'll be the first to admit it. Um, but nonetheless, it was a great experience. And I, I learned a whole lot. And some of the questions that I often get now is, you know, you had an opportunity to go to UCLA and play college soccer. Do you regret that? And the answer to that is no, even up to this very day. You know, I, I think being around those guys is an experience that not too many people uh, had an opportunity to experience, especially at the age that I got into it. So, you know, getting my education, you know, from such a young age and seeing them do that, uh, be professionals and set an example, it's taught me a lot. And it has helped me, you know, big time in, in my career. And it has opened a lot of doors. So, um, but at the same time, I think that, uh, you know, having the struggle with getting an opportunity to play was was both beneficial and it and it certainly did hurt me as well. Um, I think if I had more more chances to play, uh, I would be further along. But you know, I put that on myself as well. You know, I have had the opportunities to, you know, do the extra training, um, and at the point along the way, I stopped doing everything that got me to the point where I was before. And I take full responsibility for that. But, you know, I think now is as you get older, you learn those things, you realize those things and, and just taking it one step at a time and, and doing my best to, to be the best that I possibly can be now. That 2010 Supporters Shield run with the Galaxy, what what what'd that mean to your young career that uh, you played on the best team in the league that year? Uh, 2010. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was amazing. The year before we got to the Western Conference Finals. And to be honest with you, I didn't really feel a part of the team uh, because I didn't I, I wasn't out there playing. You know, I was very happy to be a part of the group, but I didn't feel like that. Uh, it, it didn't really hit me. But, you know, the fall year playing a big role, especially when, you know, uh, LD and, and Edson were gone off to the World Cup. And I felt like I actually contributed to the to the cause. Um, so that that was that was exciting. But again, I, I honestly, I. I think when I got to the Galaxy, we had the mindset, created this culture where it was like we're expected to win, right? We're 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 going here for a point. We're going in for three, but we'll settle for one if we get that. Um, but it, it just felt normal. And winning the quarter shield wasn't that big of a deal to me at the time. You know, I didn't realize the magnitude of it. Um, but nonetheless, it was an amazing experience, and I think it it meant me because I actually played a role in it. You know, I saw a lot of time on the field. Uh, so, you know, it certainly felt different from even a couple years later when I was in Seattle and we won the supporter shield there, but I didn't play as big of a role at all in that, in that process. So, you know, although I knew more of what was going on, uh, I think the supporter shield that I won with LA was, was probably the most um, meaningful to me. I want to move on to the Chivas USA. Now we all know the story of Chivas USA. That it was a completely litigated disaster with, with that team. Now I, I want to know some of the some of the high points with your your three year stint there, and and why do you think it failed? 
Um, some high points, probably just, you know, there is something special being a part of a group, regardless of whether, you know, the team is, is winning a lot of games or, you know, or losing a lot of games. Um, and I, I know that now, but, um, you know, some of the highlights for personally in my career was just being able to, uh, go to a place where, you know, I had to, if I want to stand out, I had to figure out how to be the guy. You know, um, how to take more responsibility onto my shoulders um, and and change my game. And I think it was uh, it was something that initially I wasn't happy about the trade and it I, I was blindsided by it. But at the same time, uh, I think after, you know, I, after I got over it, I, I realized that it was a great opportunity. And that was something that I enjoyed a, a great deal. Um, obviously, everyone everyone sees that uh, or saw that, you know, things weren't exactly run the, the right way. Um, and there were a lot of things wrong. But, you know, I just think that there was just a lot of turnover. You know, there was never really a, a true sense of stability, uh, you know, especially during the last year that I was there. There were a lot of moving parts, coaches coming in and out, coaching staff. Um, you know, there, there was just a lot of change. You just didn't know what to expect. Um, you know, month over month. So I think that that certainly did affect everyone. Everyone was worrying about, you know, kind of where they stood, what they were going to do the following year. And, you know, I, I think with there being no relegation in MLS, I think that, um, you know, with all that going on, you know, it just kind of leads to complacency. You know, guys aren't, and I'm not saying any guys were, were really, uh, not working hard or giving their best because we're all professional players and never doing that. But I think that, you know, not having to worry about relegation kind of uh, allows guys to worry about where they're going to go to next. And I was certainly one of those people. Right. So I think, you know, just everything from top to bottom um, wasn't, wasn't being done the right way. And I I think it, it certainly contributed to, you know, obviously the failings of the club in its entirety. You mentioned the the promotion relegation issue. Um, you you played in Sweden and you helped AFC United gain a promotion to Sweden's top flight. Mm-hmm. So, go, going through the experience of a pro rel uh, league and being being in a battle to gain promotion to move up to you know the the goal of where you want to be in Sweden. Do you think it should be implemented in, in MLS to kind of oh, yeah. give you without a doubt in, in, to without give a doubt. incentive yeah. for without a, a doubt a DC United not to just tank the rest of the year? Yeah, it. it I think we need it to be honest with you, and and what we have that we're really going to be respected around the world. You know, I think we we have something like you know that perspective from being outside of the country and seeing what people truly think about the MLS, and everyone respects the league now. Right, they see that it's a good league. It's, you know, it, it's a solid league, but the thing is, it's no relegation. So, I certainly think if we had that, the level would increase. Um, I think you'll see a lot more, um, you know, money flow into the league as well because owners at lower level teams will probably purchase clubs and and do their very best to to you know win promotion. I think within the MLS, every game will mean that much more because it certainly does when you're in Europe. You know, we were, you know, during that time when I was with AFC, you're counting every goal. You know, there's a there's some that stuck out sticks out to me. Um, 
you know, it was against, jeez, uh, I forgot the name of the club, um, but we playing in the second half of the season, and uh, it's about the 90th minute hot day. We just came back from, uh, from a vacation, so, you know, I had an opportunity to take a shot on goal, or I can take it to the corner and actually waste some time. You know, it's the 90th plus minute, and I did that not to shoot, and I went towards the corner. And we ended up winning the game. You know, the the game was over in the court. I left. I mean, the game finished, ended with me in the corner. Um, and, you know, the coach got a little bit annoyed. You know, he says, you got to take that shot. Every goal counts, you know. So having that mentality and just like everyone is tuned in week, day to every, each and every day. You go into the to the training sessions and you know that, hey, this week's a big week. We need to, we need to focus in. We have to get a result. You know, things like that. I, I you know, maybe it's just me, but I, I never, I wouldn't say never, I didn't feel that sense of urgency, um, you know, each week at the MLS, right? Um, <clears throat> and that's not to say that every club is like that, but I experienced something where, like, there were guys that if you didn't get on the bench, you weren't paid. You know, if you didn't play, you weren't going to get paid. You know, whether you're making a rock or playing, or whether you're going to have a job to follow you know, and if the club goes down, your salary drops by 50%, you know, and vice versa. If you go up, you know, you have potential to for your life to change, you know. So I think, you know, certainly when you're in the MLS and there's no promotion or relegation at some point during the season, if, you know, I've seen, you know, instances where, you know, it's just like a lot of cause. You're not really fighting for anything. I know fitting out the season. And I think it leads to complacency, and, and we certainly do need it. I think it will improve the quality of the league overall. So saying you're all for it, what's the cap on expansion? Like when do we stop? Is 24 good or 28? Like what, what's the number we need to be at to start implementing this pr- promotional litigation system? To be honest with you, I've never really given that a whole lot of thought. I think there's more than enough clubs um, within the MLS and the USL and the NASL. I think first and foremost, we have to figure out what's the second division and what's the third division. Like, just have a structure first and foremost. Um, there's not an issue with the amount of teams because at the end of the day, if we need to make the MLS, uh, you know, if we need to have less teams competing in there, you just drop a team down, you know, or you say, hey, this season we're going to imp- next to follow season. Or two seasons from now, we're going to imp- implement promotion and relegation. So who, for the next season, whoever finishes bottom is going to go down. I think that creates, like, imagine what that's going to create. The the the, the excitement, the, the the fear in, in clubs. It's 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 not an issue of team, right? I think once you do promotion and relegation, you're going to start seeing that people are going to uh, try to stack their teams, you know? And, and uh, I think... Um, you know, at that point, everything becomes a little bit more serious, right? And, uh, you know, owners are going to have to really, really do a good job of building team, uh, be very meticulous about who they hire, and, and players are gonna have to step up and do a better job because <laughs> at the end of the day, the team might go down, and you might as well, go, you might go down with them as well. So I don't think, I don't think the conversation needs to be how many teams should we limit it uh, to and stuff like that? I just think we need to actually do it. I want I want to take a break from soccer for a second. I want to talk about your your podcast, which is actually indirectly about soccer. <laughs> um, a, a pro's life, uh, the the lessons you've learned about uh, through life, or through soccer about life. 
Um, what kind of started the show, and and what what keeps it going every week? So, Probe's life uh, left running through soccer is it a project that um, you know what that I thought about for about two years, and I was developing the concept for, and um, you know, kind of came about when I had a lot of free time. Um, I was just thinking about how amazing it would be if, uh, you know, when I was growing up, if I was able to hear stories um, of how other players made it as professionals, the things they had to go through. Um, because I, I felt like looking at my story, I felt that when went in the community to go talk to kids and things like that, you know, there were a lot of questions, the most common questions like, hey, can you get one tip that I can use to become a professional soccer player? And I'm like, kid, it's it's simple as turning on a light, turning on and off a light. Like, there's a lot of things that go into it. And the best thing I was able to do was just share my story, right? My ups, the downs, um, and how I just kind of got through and all through it all. So I, I just started thinking. You know, I started listening to a lot of entrepreneur podcasts and things like that. Um, and I had this idea. You know, it was it just came to my mind, and you know, that's when I started developing the concept and you know, thinking about how I can, you know, really make it something that is a resource that everyone, every soccer player should be listening to. Uh, so I kind of pitched the idea to a couple, a couple, you know, potential guests um, and all the professional players I pitched it to, they loved the idea and they committed right then and there. So I thought it was a great idea. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, I was really afraid of putting it out because, you know, I have no, I had no experience in this at all. You know, um, I didn't know anything about it. And I, at some point or another, I was a little bit too concerned with other, what other people thought, if they were going to think it's just, they were going to laugh because it sucked. And, you know, all the things that come to your mind. And, uh, finally my girlfriend just kind of gave me that push and, and as well as, you know, my inner circle and they just say, Hey, you just got to put it out. And, it's going to suck in the beginning, but you'll get better, you know, and, and the fact that other guys around the league are already committed to coming on the show shows you that it's a good idea and you need to just trust your gut feeling. So I put it out there and it's been amazing. Um, you know, the show is broken up into two segments. The first segment is me interviewing another professional player about their journey, um, the good moments, but most importantly, the, the worst moment and what they learned from it. And um, the second segment of the show, which is uh, comes out every Thursday, is me sharing a tip. You know, initially we had kids calling in and, and asking questions. Um, and now I just share, you know, something that's inspirational, motivational uh, each Thursday. And, and it, the, the feedback has been amazing. You know, it's been listened to in over 50, 50 countries. Um, <clears throat> we've we passed the, the 20,000 download mark. Um, you know, it's the kids are DMing me, asking me all these questions of how they can get better. So my plan for what I envision the podcast becoming is slowly starting to take shape. Um, but you know, the, the most important thing is that kids are, are learning from it. And that's the biggest thing. You know, I have kids reaching out to not only myself, but past guests and saying how much of an impact listening to their story is made. And that's, what's most important because that's the reason I truly made the show. Two things. I can attest to how bad podcasts are at the beginning because me and Tom, when we started the show, it was awful. It was, just, <laughs> yeah. it was just terrible. It's a learning curve. It's a very big learning curve. Yeah. I mean, it seems very simplistic at its nature, but you know, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, the, and, and to be honest with you, I think people um, 
movement went into it, they probably wouldn't start it, you know, right away because it's just a lot. And it's, you know, there's no real, uh, there's not people out there doing it. There's a select few that are giving advice of how to really run it properly. Um, So it's just a lot of work, but it's so worth it. No, yeah, it's 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 extremely worth it. it I just didn't realize how much equipment I needed. Yeah, <laughs> like that was like, all the all the softwares and the the headphones and the equipment and the microphone and, and just everything that goes with it and the the splitters yeah. and the adapters and and it adds up. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, it adds up. It but, certainly adds up. But the whole concept of the podcast is it's great because you don't really hear that side from professional players they you know mm-hmm. you you go exactly. in there you hear about the lifestyle you hear it's all great but you don't right. hear about the bad parts of it the, the parts exactly. where you want to quit exactly and it's just a fantastic concept i i've been listening to it it's mm-hmm. it's fantastic even if you, that's, if you're not a young and upcoming soccer player you can still take things from it and use it yeah, to yeah. whatever you're doing certainly and that's that's what i've been trying to do where it's it's not you know, in the, in the beginning, it was very soccer related, and I, you know, lately I've been trying to make, uh, especially the approach tips, which comes out on Thursday. I've been trying to make it a little bit more general because if you follow my personal page, um, I'm very very uh, inspirational. I try my best to use my platform for for the right reason, uh, do good with my platform. So you know, I, I I try my very best to make these topics relatable, and and if you can get around the you know, get a see past the the fact that all the guests are professional soccer players, and you just truly listen. Um, there's a lot of life lessons that you can learn from it. It's a great concept, and uh, it's definitely definitely on my subscribe list now. Awesome. <laughs> but uh, move, moving back to your to your career, and maybe a little bit about uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation. So eventually, in your career, you moved to Seattle, which obviously is probably not one of your favorite years. But going through that season, winning the Supporters Shield in 2014, and, and playing that environment, you played at Central Link Field. What, what was the, it, what was the whole culture like in Seattle? Was it everything you anticipated, or was it more? It was. It was exactly what I anticipated. Um, you know, I, I've been to Seattle a few times with, um, you know, the various clubs throughout my career, and, you know, going there as, uh, you know, a visitor. The visiting team is always that's like a moment when I always I always look forward to you know it was like yeah we're gonna play in Seattle this week it's gonna be awesome and I always wanted to make sure I was you know in the starting lineup I was hitting my form before then because uh, that's an experience you want to be a part of um, and uh, you know it was, it's just amazing you know being there the the culture you know you, you guys everybody sees it it's like a march to the matches um, you know, everybody's talking about the Sounders around town. People are actually wearing jerseys. It feels like Europe, you know, and, and being having that experience of being in Europe and seeing, you know, people go to, you know, AIK matches and Europe Gordon and Hammerby matches. Like, you have that same feeling. So I think it's it was awesome to be a part of it. And, you know, although it didn't exactly work out the way, um, you know, I think all parties envisioned it working out, Nonetheless, it was an amazing experience and something that will that'll always be with me. Is that um, that neon green? How do you how do you feel about it? Do you do you like it, or is it just as bad as as in person <laughs> as it is on TV? No, the the jerseys are pretty cool, man. Like, um, I don't think I think one people that one thing that people don't realize is that uh, there's a select few clubs that get. Um, you know, exclusive kits and 
outside of the galaxy, Seattle was another club that got those. So I think it was LA, Seattle, DC United. Um, and I can't think of any other ones off the top of my head. So those jerseys, they were, they were all a little bit different from the other MLS jerseys. So they were, they were a lot of fun to wear. I mean, it's out there, right? The colors are crazy, but, yeah. um, I think it makes it unique, you know? Yeah, it, it definitely describes Seattle. Seattle is the, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people give Portland credit for being weird, but Seattle is, you know, the Pacific Northwest. It's everything. It rains every day. <laughs> They're both weird. I <laughs> think a, Portland's a little weirder. <laughs> and I have to say that as somebody that played in Seattle, no. But every, it's a little bit different, you know, especially coming from L.A. Uh, the culture is different. Um, but, you know, the soccer culture, it's... It's it's some of the best the the two best places to play in, in in the U.S. How real is that Cascadia Cup rivalry between Portland and Seattle? Oh, they hate each other. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it extends outside of that as well. You know, from my experience, you know, everyone that I've met from Seattle says that you know people from Portland are weird and, and vice versa. You know, so it's not just a soccer thing. It's I it's some weird rivalry going on. Um, I don't know. I, I like both places to be honest with you, but. Hey, I expect I, I respect it. I, I a kid coming from LA, you know, I think New York is not the best city in the world. You know, LA <laughs> is, and they think the exact same. So I get it. I get it. Uh, I want to I want to move on to the U.S. Soccer Federation, and uh, you you and I talked about it. Just some there's problems going on right now. The U.S. did not qualify for the World Cup uh, in that disastrous night in Trinidad. So. If you were running things, if, if say you were the overlord of U.S. soccer, who who would you pick to be the president? Who would you pick to be the coach? And how would you kind of change so we can actually make the World Cup in 2022? You know what? I'd be full of crap if I sat here and told you that who uh, gave you you know a name of who I think should be president. Um, I can tell you what I can tell you is what I think it should probably look like. You know, I think first and foremost. Uh, as we spoke about before, we need promotion and relegation in, in our league. Um, second thing, I think, you know, as a player experiencing this, we need free agency. Um, I think that will certainly help the league in a big way in terms of just, you know, players having the ability to play where they want um, and, and owners and clubs having to do right by their players and things of that nature. Um, you know, after that, you know, the, the youth level, you know, we have to make a lot of improvements. There's, you know, we obviously can't have this whole pay-to-play thing. It, it really alienates a huge population in our country, and I don't think we're really getting a chance to see our best players. Um, and I'm speaking from that, uh, from experience. You know, I wasn't the, you know, I didn't come from an affluent family. I, I My family struggled, and I couldn't imagine if I wasn't given an opportunity to play club soccer what would have happened. And, you know, although I only played for, you know, maybe a year or two, uh, it opened other doors for me. So, you know, I think we have to get rid of that, that system altogether. Um, we have to figure out like, Hey, are we going to do club soccer? Are we going to do the Academy? I think everything has to make sense. Um, college, you know, when it comes to college, I think it's a great thing, but maybe the college season needs to be a little bit longer. Um, you know, and then obviously, you know, just just allowing players to when they have the opportunity to go abroad, you know, giving them that opportunity to go like not trying to get the absolute most money we can get for these players. I understand it's a business, but you got to allow players to go push on and do better things and, and you know, really get experience because I think that'll give us more credibility and bring 
attract uh, younger players from other countries to come here and play, and I think that'll improve the level of the MLS altogether. And then with our national team, you know, there's been a lot of talk of, or I wouldn't say a lot of talk. I, I would say there's a lot of been a lot of finger pointing at uh, you know various aspects of U.S. soccer, and I think that everyone is truly to blame for it. It's not just the players that are on the field um, that didn't get the job done this time around. You know, as speaking as a professional player, it's not easy, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of things that go into it, you know. Um, and I won't get into it in terms of like the travel, how hard it is to travel, things like that, because everyone has to to deal with that. Um, but I think it, it goes without saying that, sure, the players didn't get it done. Then obviously you're going to look at the coaching staff. Sure, they didn't get it done. Um, you know, but also, you know, the president and things like that. Yeah, you know, the, the, the U.S. soccer, you know, I think there, there needs to be a few changes in terms of, um, you know, broadening the group. And, and it just needs probably changing from top to bottom, to be honest with you. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I feel like there's a certain group of um, there's a there's a certain group of not only players but uh, staff that's around U.S. soccer, and I think that maybe there needs to be some new blood that comes in and gives a different perspective. You know, and, and I was a fan of Jurgen Klinsmann simply because of the fact that I felt like everyone had a chance. You know, even when I was playing in the second division, I felt like, hey, you know what? If I put a couple of performances together, I get a move to a big club, I'm playing consistently and making a difference, anything can happen, you know. And sometimes, you know, I never, I, I didn't necessarily feel that way if I was playing in the MLS, you know. And, you know, I felt like there's the same group of players. So there's a lot of things that need to happen, to be honest with you. And and, and it's not just it's not just about the players and, and the federation. It's also soccer in this in this country in general, right? I think that, um, we need to become more educated as spectators, right? So that we can have better conversations about the game. And it's not just, hey, this guy missed the goal. He sucks. You know, there's everyone needs to, it needs to be better, you know, all around. And to be honest with you, yes, it's a catastrophic moment in U.S. soccer history, but I think it's the best thing that could have happened um, at this point because it, it allows us to really take a look at ourselves and, and do things differently. So, you know, I'm I'm excited for what's to come. Um, I think w when you saw the last game against Portugal, you know, Dave Sarakin did a good job of bringing a lot of new faces in there. And, um, you know, I think you're going to kind of start seeing this transition uh, of the next wave of players that will be, you know, spearheading the U.S. for the coming years. So it's, it's exciting. You know, I, I think all is, is not bad. I think it's just you have to have the right perspective on it. I have two takeaways from what you just said. Mm -hmm. Jurgen Klinsmann should be hired back, and you you want to be president. <laughs> Not necessarily. I don't. You know. I think Jurgen. Jurgen honestly, Jurgen did a good job. I think he. I think he brought in the 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 bait, the pool of players, um, which was fantastic. Um, me for president. Hey, I'll take the job. I don't know what I'm doing there. I'll figure it out. But you know, I I, I don't necessarily I don't necessarily think it's you know, uh, there's there's a lack of competency uh, at the top. I think it's just, you know, maybe there needs to be a change, a drastic change, and it's whoever is brave enough to do it. And again, I'm looking at this from the outside, you know, so maybe the people that are, are, are actually in that situation, they probably know of something that I don't, and every the, the general public doesn't, you know, so there's probably things that 
uh, need to be done a certain way. Um, so we don't we don't know all the facts. So I think it's it's really tough to criticize. But you know, um, again, I think we're all to blame. It's not just the players. It's not just the coaches. It's everyone, fans included. So um, yeah, it's going to change uh, because of this this obviously catastrophic event that just happened. You, you say it's hard to criticize, but we're going to do it anyways. Um, b- before I let you go, I, I have a, a personal question. Um, mm-hmm. how, how good is your relationship with, with Bob Bradley and some of the you know signed or rumored to be signed LAFC players like uh, Carlos Vela? Uh, don't know Carl- Carlos Vela. Uh, Bob Bradley... You know, we've, we've crossed paths down at the StubHub Center when he was a, the coach of the national team. Um, I can't say that we've ever had a conversation or anything like that. But, um, you know, uh, in terms of, like, say there's a couple guys signed, like Carlos Alvarez, we obviously played together at Chivas USA. So, um, you know, I, I don't know everyone there, but I'm certainly looking forward to getting to know them. <laughs> Tristan, it, it's been a pleasure. Uh Thank you. Thank uh, I appreciate you. On, I appreciate you making time. Uh, of course. Where where can we find a pro's life on on the internet? Yeah. So um, the best way to reach a pro's life or to follow it is obviously you can go on Instagram. It's at a pro's life podcast. We're also on you know Twitter uh, at a pro's life pod. Um, you guys can certainly go to iTunes and find it and, and subscribe there. Um, and my personal page is just at Tristan Bowen on all platforms. And we'll put a link to his podcast for Apple in the show notes. Yeah, um, awesome. Appreciate that. Yeah, you got it, man. Uh, American soccer, the American soccer community has to stick together. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Tristan, we certainly I, do. I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, very, very honored to have you on, you know. I uh, really we we are rooting for you to make LAFC so we can see you play again this year. Awesome. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You got it.